私の家内があのお前は幸運だとよく言います My wife tells me that I'm a very lucky man. <笑>あの一つは、えー、紙と鉛筆とフィルムの最後の時代の50年に私が付き合えたことだと思います。それからあの私の50年間に私たちの国は一度も戦争をしませんでした。戦争で儲けたりはしましたけれどでも戦争をしなかったそのおかげが僕らの仕事にとってはとても力になったと思います Another fact of luck is that my country has not been at war for the 50 years that I have been making films Of course we've profited from wars but we're very fortunate that we have not had to go to war ourselves でも最大の幸運は今日でしたモーリン・オワルさんに会えたんですこれはすごいことですこんなに幸運はありません美しいですね本当に良かったどうもありがとうございました But my greatest luck is that I've been able to meet Miss Maureen O'Hara today <laughs> Greatest story ever told. <laughs> Not finished. <laughs> It is Song of Ice and Fire. Just like the Bible. <clears throat> well, how's it going? Well, my story's not finished, just like Game of Thrones. So I guess it's going better than Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire. Most things are. I guess Game of Thrones is technically finished. Oof. Let's not talk about it though. <laughs> that, I mean, that was、uh, someone.、Um, I saw a post the other day about Stranger Things, and someone's like,、oh, I went back and watched Stranger Things season three, and it's, it's not as good as I remember. And I'm like, it's coming around. Like, wait until this、uh, Stranger Things does its, fi- uh, uh, its you know, final season and has its big finale. Lots of people are going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, yeah, because.、Um- I mean, you can only go so far with the fucking consumer nostalgia porn. So, hopefully, this podcast lasts. <laughs> Remember in like the mid 2000s when、um, all the best bands in the world were basically just copying like Joy Division, Gang of Four, and、uh, The Fall? Sort of. That was the best. It hasn't, music hasn't mattered since then. <laughs> <laughs> Franz Ferdinand, Block Party, fucking I, I、like、Interpol's first album. Society as a whole really peaked around 2003, 2004. You know? No. 
It was after I graduated high school. It was 2006. <laughs> yeah, that was the good times. The all or nothing times, the bad days. Yeah, it was the great times. George Bush was president. Everything was looking up. Everything seemed great. Wolf Parade's first album came out. Things will never get better than this. And even though I was horribly depressed back then, coincidentally, though, I am now what mental health experts would call hella depressed. <laughs> nice. I saw that in Sigmund Freud's book. Sigmund uh, Freud. Let me tell you about the hella depressed. Been a rough week. Been an emotional one. Um, Studio Ghibli films did not help. In fact, no, that was a shock. Kind of made it worse, especially as I um, devoured every interview quote and information I could find about Hayao Miyazaki. And I said, oh no, this is what's happening to me. You're turning into a bitter old man? Yes. Listen, <laughs> throat. I've been there for a few years. Yeah, I just, um, well, I'm exhausted. Uh, we lost, guys. Let's pack it in. <laughs> it's over. But um, I guess this might be a long and a weird one, so let's get into it, huh? We watched Castle in the Sky, which came out in 1986. It came out about a month after I was born, in Japan at least. It took a while for it in the United States. I think 89 was the first uh, United States release. Crowded future stings my eyes I still find time to exercise In a uniform with two right stripes Unlock my section of the sand It's fenced off to the water's edge I clamp a gas mask on my head On my beach at night Really catchy, like 80s uh, RB um, track, Titan um, Tower track. Yeah, I Castles mean, if, in the Sky. If what it came out, well, there is a song called Castles in the Sky by Twin Shadow that came out in like 2008. Yeah. That's a pretty good song. I don't think it has anything to do with this movie, though. But it does have uh, the retro 80s feel to it. Check it out, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I mean, this isn't a Disney movie and it's not from the United States, so it's not very kitschy or cheesy or corporatized. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I went this some cheese in it. I mean, um, like those Studio Ghibli movies always have a little bit of cheese. Uh, I think you're confusing sincerity with cheese. <laughs> I don't think so, but okay. Well, I mean, like there's a. I guess that's true. You know what I mean? But sincerity is a little cheesy. I mean, there's um soft, hopeful themes in a lot of Ghibli movies, but since they're presented so sincerely, it makes it not cheesy. I guess it doesn't seem as contrived as um say Disney films. But, uh, shit, man. Fucking, here's the deal. We could talk about 
Hayao Miyazaki, how he's the greatest animator of all time, his wonderful landscapes, the commitment to realistic movement, keen study of human interactions, human beings, and translating it into anime where even background characters need to be real people and they need to move and act like human beings. We talk about all that stuff that he's been lauded for. But they're never throwing a pie at each other. Yeah, come on, throw some pies in the background. Jeez. Except I mean there's a lot of like sloppy eating and uh like comedy uh, based around eating in Ghibli films. So Yeah, that's there. true. I was I was uh, like spirited away. There's a lot of like in the backgrounds. Yeah, sloppy monsters, sloppy gods. How Hayao Miyazaki makes movies is uh, he doesn't write a screenplay or a script. He'll maybe do a story outline, but even that's uncommon. Generally, he just starts off with the drawing and goes from there. Like My Neighbor Totoro, the scene where they're waiting for the cat bus and it's just Totoro and the girls in the rain. Uh, he drew that and then came up with Totoro from it. And the films generally are being like animated. Coen Brothers, like they 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 came up, you know, the they have an one single scene in their head, and that's what they build it off of. Um, yeah, I think even a little bit more naturalistic than that. Um, Ghibli films are, or Miyazaki films particularly are also being animated as he's really going through the story. So I was why sometimes about, they take a hundred years to make. Well, yeah, especially now because the Studio Ghibli is pretty small and um, they're still doing traditional animation, which takes a lot. But uh, 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 so he basically just does storyboards, which isn't unheard of. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn, the uh, Danish filmmaker, also just does everything based on storyboards. But obviously he's, it's not, he's not a great animator like me. It's like, yeah. So with that in mind, I was thinking that there's almost like a shamanistic uh, interpretation of Ghibli films where since he doesn't have time to really contrive what the themes and symbolism and meaning of the films are going to be really since he's doing it so holistically, that means they're like imbued with his real sort of intrinsic personal philosophy and his own morals and stuff, right? There's like a one-to-one recreation of things he naturally is imbuing him in there because he doesn't have time to intellectualize the purpose of his story so it's just sort of his raw philosophy gets transported into the movies i figured we'd talk about a few things that are like how miyazaki believes in and as they're relative to castle in the sky particularly so uh i mean i don't i tried my best to pull quotes that would uh, go along with most of the things that I'm going to be mentioning. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but he's someone enigmatic or he kind of skirts away from revealing too much about himself in general. <clears throat> Start things off. Here's um, a quote from Hayao Miyazaki uh, from only a couple of years ago. So it's a little bit more in the, uh, well, I'll just read it. So. I hate the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I'm very pessimistic, but when, for instance, one of my staff has a baby, you can't help but bless them for a good fortune because I can't tell that child, oh, you shouldn't have come come into this life. And yet I know the world is heading in a bad direction. So with those conflicting thoughts in mind, I think about what kind of films I should be making. So that'll lay the groundwork for uh, what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I kind of understand. I get that philosophy, but I kind of subscribe to it. But the problem with it is the world's always been heading in a bad place. Like before he was born, before I was born. 
Yeah, but yeah. luck uh, for uh, luckily in Miyazaki's lifetime, he's been able to see the um, end of the clock. Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, yeah, you can see it on the horizon now. <laughs> you know what I mean, I mean like, that, okay, <laughs> that's what <laughs> you know. No one living through the time uh, really understands the the scope of it. I don't ever think. You know what I mean? But we'll we'll see. All right. So specific to Castle in the Sky. We're going to have to talk about um, Miyazaki and Marxism. And then eventually we'll get into um, his more animist, romantic, ecological beliefs, which uh, eventually overtake any real, I don't want to say cheap political ideology, because I don't want to boil down Marxism into that. But he he seems to have broader beliefs than anything can be labeled exactly. I mean, some of it's Shinto, some of it's socialism, some of it's animism some of it's just the japanese pride in work blah blah you know what i mean um obviously he's never come out and said he's a feminist but the uh feminism as in gender equality is rampant in all of his films so basically he doesn't ever label himself but at one point he did he was a marxist at one point for the first half of his life um so he eventually is gonna abandon straight up marxism uh, and it has quite a bit to do with misanthropy, unfortunately. And then that's in conjunction with the, his animistic ecological beliefs becoming much more important. And then he still is considered, I would consider him, he still espouses quite left-wing beliefs publicly. Uh, he's outspoken pacifist. Um, he's opposed to unnecessary industrialization and consumption. Uh, he seems to impart feminist virtues into his films, even though he's never said he's feminist. The, the great example, I've seen it come up on the internet quite a bit, coincidentally, recently, is he wouldn't go to the 2006 Oscar ceremony to get the Oscar for Spirit Away because of the war in Iraq. He said he wouldn't go to any country that was openly engaged in war. So uh, Recently, he said Shinzo Abe was despicable for changing constitutional amendments in Japan in the pursuit of advancing, advancing military power. He's also called Shinzo Abe a nationalist, which he is. I think everybody calls Shinzo Abe a nationalist. And I, I bet if you asked any random person on the internet about Shinzo Abe, they would They'd be like, say, who? Who? <laughs> and if they knew he was the leader of japan they'd be like i don't know J- japan likes to make money or something i don't know you know what i mean well i guess that's fair but i mean i don't know if you you either um are familiar with shinzo abe or, or you're not i feel like if you are you you should recognize that he's a nationalist yeah the i think even people that are politically intelligent about japan and stuff don't they would i guess they would say shinzo abe is a nationalist but the uh Nationalism in Japan is so ingrained and pervasive that yeah, it's so not people don't yeah people don't see it as negatively as they do in other countries, which is strange, especially considering Japan's history. But uh, the thing is, Japan kind of keeps to themselves, right? Yeah, sort of. They, I mean, historically, they went through periods of total isolation too, forced isolation even, but um, and then f- uh, forced opening as well. Yeah, <laughs> the United States came and said we have big gunboat. Uh, he loves fucking airplanes, which are. I mean, who doesn't love? They're great. The the Wright brothers uh, uh, created airplanes, and then one of them lived long enough to see one drop a bomb on uh, uh, Hayao Miyazaki's country. Exactly. His father actually owned a airplane factory during World War II. His factory was destroyed, obviously, through bombing. 
but I think it's an interesting dichotomy in that it's ever present in the philosophy of his films too, where uh, there's always flying machines and sometimes they are just like beautiful flying machines, but then obviously there's massive depictions of war brought on by the flying machines. So he seems to be, he's in love with like the beauty of flight. And then he's seen firsthand, like the destruction of technology used improperly, which seems to be his biggest problem with industrialization. Uh, so yeah, because of that, he also fucking hates war. He was alive during World War II. He did live through World War II. He has a specific memory where they were fleeing um, their town. Him and his brother and father were riding in the back of a truck. And there was another family, an older woman and her two children on the side of the road that asked for help and wanted to ride with them. And his father did not allow them to. And apparently he's been haunted by this memory for the rest of his life. Because uh, he, even though he was a small child, he wanted to stand up and help him, you know, but he didn't. I guess in sort of reaction to that, you've noticed that, um, all the protagonists. You in can't his really movies, see that in any of his movies at all. I was just gonna say all of his protagonists are super tenacious and like um, proactive, right? They always are just like fucking, let's get it. Yeah, there was like no hesitation at all from anyone in this, like from uh, it, from the entire in the entire town at this point. Yeah. So no one in the small town, they're completely ready to help a stranger just because Pasu is like, this is my friend. They're like, all right, let's get it. Pasu is immediately like, oh, I'm going to help this girl. He gets locked up, and then he's like trying to find a way to climb out and shit. He doesn't care. You know what I mean? All these characters are always just like, fucking, we got shit to do. We're going to do it. That yeah. motherfucker from the gate could have learned something from, from these guys. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he always has a very stalwart protagonist, um, seemingly because of that event, or just because it's, um, I don't know, that's the kind of hero you want in a story anyways, right? Someone proactive who pretty much always does the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I would say that occasionally you don't, I guess you don't always want that, but there should be someone in, at some point that is proactive, otherwise you don't really have anything going on. Yeah, where's the story going to go? And then you, that's how you get like long form television drama in the United States. <laughs> Things just happen to me. <laughs> yeah, while the customer or the, while the uh, protagonist whines or whatever. Uh, anyways, back to Marxism real quick. In Japan, uh, communism isn't as demonized in the U.S. because they uh, weren't directly participating in the Cold War. Obviously, they're profiting off of it, but they didn't ever have a Red Scare type event, so they're not as scared. They also kind of missed on like the sexual revolution. They missed on a whole bunch of shit. They did. Once again, Japan's kind of isolationist. They got their own thing going on over there. But um, uh, at one point, the Socialist Party was the second largest party in Japan for quite a while. Um, that was like leading up to World War II. <laughs> and then the Communist Party still now holds seats in the parliament. But during World War II, political and labor movements were banned, uh, with the communists generally being the only vocal opponents of the war. I'm assuming a lot of those people got killed. Mm, yeah i mean well the the leaders for sure probably got yeah killed, you know what i mean but most of the other people just got quietly silenced yeah afterwards though after world war ii um they did allow unions to be reformed and most of them were led by communists and the youth time that never happens <laughs> i mean it, i don't know how consistently it does in the united states honestly well there's no unions in the united states anymore so if, there you go <laughs> oh we'll get back to that in a second <laughs> The youth movement at the time was galvanized by the idea of a truly free and dem radically democratic Japan. And this would include Miyazaki and Isao Takahata, which is, uh, air quotes, the other Ghibli director. Because usually, I'm, I'm sure people that are into anime or Studio Ghibli know about Takahata, but um, 
most people, I think, assume that they're all made by Miyazaki. But like Grave of the Fireflies is Takahata and stuff like that. Miyazaki was the chairman of the animators union at uh, Toei Doga. And at the time, he once said he wasn't even sure about making Nausicaa a princess since that makes her an elite class. And then Pompoko was basically the story of how the liberal movements in post-war Japan failed, according to Miyazaki. So he's pretty radical when he first was starting out. A lot of people were then in Japan, the uh, youth movement, and a lot of people especially involved in the um, animated industry were all unionized and um, had a sense of class consciousness, and it kind of comes through in the early anime. Not so much anymore. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's kind of true of a lot of media. It's kind of true of um all media around the world slowly over time which is kind of a bummer uh so to start off though obviously he we know he's working on pompoko he did uh he was working on lupin the third series and stuff but his first um original completed tv anime series is called future boy conan about conan (laughs) o'brien he knew a lot about conan o'brien even in 19 what 70 something probably yeah the it's age appropriate because <laughs> Conan's a little boy and <laughs> doesn't have red hair though. I don't know if it's about his mom throwing potatoes out the window. So uh, Conan takes place after an apocalyptic war is fought between the United States and the Soviet Union. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder why that was. <laughs> uh, tearing <apart laughs> no one ever made a movie or TV show or book or comic book series based off that idea. Yeah, Future Boy Conan is actually based off of a book. Sort of. Um, Miyazaki's adaptations of books are pretty loose. Isn't like uh, elements even like uh, uh, Nagasaka based on Future Boy Conan or Castle in the Sky? I don't know. Whatever. Finish your thoughts. Um, I guess Castle in the Sky has a little bit. Yeah, um, Castle in the Sky does have a little bit in common with Future Boy Conan. Uh, so that that uh, hypothetical war between the Soviet Union and the United States tears the planet apart, leaves behind very little um, to sustain the human population. Like the the the, the soil itself is ruined. There's uh, two powers that exist: Industria, which wants to rebuild the world through the labor of its underclass and the advancement of technology, and then um, the good place, High Harbor, <laughs> which is a relatively peaceful agrarian community, very pastoral. Um, and you'll notice uh, in a lot of Miyazaki's work, there's clearly the uh, bad industrial um, society and then the much better pastoral society. Castle in the Sky, a little bit different because you could say um, Patsu's town is somewhat industrial because, I mean, they're mining, right? But uh, it's still very community-driven, very collectivist. Uh, at the end of Future Boy Conan, Conan and uh, the other protagonist, Lana, destroy the planet's last warship and sink Industria. High Harbor safety is assured and society presumably lives happily ever after, adopting a more pastoral lifestyle without uh, death machines and the uh, overburden of industry. So collective pastoral society is great. Capitalist industry must be defeated. Pretty legit, but um, it's already you're already starting to see a bit more to do with romanticism rather than Marxism. And I mean romanticism in the sort of... Liter- <clears throat> yeah, the literary art movement that was in opposition to industry at the time. As industrialization was happening, there was an artistic movement called romanticism, which was more about pastoral life and um, na- reconvening with nature and blah, blah, blah. 
weird thing about romanticism though is the only people that were able to engage in it were like wealthy aristocrats. Like, There's a bunch yeah. of like poor collective communities. Well, I mean, there was um, communities that were still living pastorally, you know, embodying the values of romanticism. But I mean, the people that got to engage in like the creation of romanticism and deciding what the aesthetics and stuff are, those are all like Lord Byron and shit. It's not regular ass people. Uh, After Future Boy Conan, it's when he makes his first animated film, which is, of course, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. That, That sexual assaulter? Well, that's the interesting thing about Castle of Cagliostro is uh, Lupin suspiciously not a pervert in this one. So um, Miyazaki, like I said, worked on the Lupin series and he returned to direct this theatrical film about the gentleman thief. And yeah, just like you said, he is presented as a gentleman thief in air quotes, but he's also like often perverse, impulsive and selfish. Not, Not so much a gentleman most of the time, right? Correct. Uh, there is this inherent thing in Lupin, though, where he has a desire to steal things simply for the stake or for like the sake of stealing them, rather than being like a Robin Hood type figure who's redistributing redistributing wealth or anything. But it's also yeah, he's for the thrill of it. Yeah, it's also like not even a selfish money hoarding um, impulse. He really just likes to steal. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some sort of severe form of kleptomania. Well, there's a sort of an intrinsic understanding in Lupin the character, and I think the series as well, as well, where it's like treasures have value but no utility, and so like Lupin is like kind of like the fantasy of the pleasurable idea of being able to reestablish the uselessness of things like gold and money. You know what I mean? Where it's like this serves no purpose. So I, I don't. Kyle Gold serves so many purposes. <laughs> uh, not until microchips. It's not even in fucking microchips. <laughs> it's not even that anymore, right? Yeah, no, it's not really that. It's, it doesn't have a lot of industrial uses. It's... Well, yeah, it has no utility. It's just for looking flash. Uh, but specifically in Cagliostro, as I mentioned, uh, he's Lupin's surprisingly not so much like a sex pest, and he's like genuinely and sincerely interested in helping the princess Clarice escape from her arranged marriage without any pretext like he's not in it for like jewels or status or anything like that he just a lot of people complain that the film doesn't embody the spirit of lupon the third exactly but uh it makes lupon like a much more um favorable character (laughs) he's he's actually i I mean i guess that's true but when you whenever he talks about the old lupon show or the lupin movies they always talk about Miyazaki's as the best one. You know what I mean? No one really ever talks about the other ones. Uh, I guess maybe in the West, just because people are more familiar well, he, with Miyazaki he, over Lupin rather than Lupin over Miyazaki. Uh, yeah, I guess, but I'm just mean like even as like anime fans in general. But I guess that's true. Where I'm looking at it from the Western perspective. Yeah, no, in fans of Lupin in like Japan, especially when it first came out, they uh, did not like it. Uh, but uh, the film's ending reveals that the true treasure hidden by Clarice's kingdom are the ruins, testicles. No, is the ruins of an ancient, beautiful city. Possibly, it's perhaps romantic thievery can serve a greater purpose than saving a girl. And then, so by disrupting the forces of control, the evil count in this case, it's possible to regain access to the truth of history and the world. Kind of Marxist, or but at least very anti-capitalist. But wrapped up quite a bit in romanticism right right but 
because this is like a Byronic hero, essentially. He's doing it for the right reasons, and he's going to tear down the capitalism and the, the powers that be to save this woman in her ancient society, which that kind of comes with the castle in the sky again. Well, basically, my point so far is that uh, uh, Marxism, or at least to the extent of act, uh, anti-capitalism and a little bit of class consciousness, is so far pretty important to the works he's making. Uh, and it comes across as romanticism because you got to kind of sell it to kids, I think, is maybe the thought. Or at least you got to make it fun. You got to make it fun for the kids. You know what I mean? They, that's what sells the tickets. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, uh, with the anime industry back then, absolutely. Yeah, talking raccoon. Uh, next up, it's Nasca and the Valley of the Wind. This is when environmentalism is really going to take center stage over perhaps Marxism. So uh, Nasca comes from the Valley of the Wind, which is a collectivist, egalitarian, agrarian society that is held up by as like a virtuous society in the film. It sounds pretty familiar, right? Nope. Uh, in general, the film is blatantly about industry and overconsumption destroying the earth. The Valley of the Wind shockingly gets its power from the wind. Miyazaki acknowledges the creation of human technologies, and he realizes that they will continue to grow and can't be stopped, but he wants to showcase the value of technology that works in harmony with nature, not against it. Which finally brings us to Lapida, the castle in the sky. It's called Lapida in other countries. I don't think it's called Lapida in the United States or like Spain or Mexico because then it's Laputa. (laughs) 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 And I have to, I have to like seriously concentrate my brain to emphasize it as Laputa instead of Laputa. (laughs) Laputa. Laputa. Uh, So um, Castle in the Sky is the first actual Studio Ghibli film. Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind was made before Studio Ghibli existed. Uh, with regards to technology needing to work in harmony with nature, the opening of Castle in the Sky shows what? But it shows the goddess up in the clouds blowing wind into a machine that men are using to harvest uh, grain or something like that as an agricultural machine. But then it gets blown away by, oh, shit, evil-ass flying ships that are going against the wind. I wonder what that could mean. I Just, don't know. It's probably something, something to do with like man's inability to like, please a woman. Because <laughs> it was a goddess. Yeah. Well, no, it's actually human technology exists. We'll continue to develop, and that's unavoidable. That said, we should work with nature, not against it, or we will destroy nature. Basically, what Nasco was talking about. Uh, there's no evidence for that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we've been doing the exact opposite in reality. How, how are things looking? I don't know. How was the, is the Arctic on fire again? I'm pretty sure it's not, right? No, it's good. Well, uh, also, Iowa almost got washed away. No one has power. And I guess yeah, but it's Iowa. Does anybody care? Yeah, because it's, um, I mean, it's, it's going to feed into the feedback loop. Yeah, well, there goes a lot of corn. And then, well, yeah, once we don't have, if the Midwest gets fucked up, then, yeah, we don't have any fucking growing areas. We can get avocados, maybe. Except for Avocado. Uh, California is also on fire too because they had a fucking crazy ass lightning storm on the hottest day of the year in the Bay Area. And talking to our grandma yesterday, they're having rolling brownouts everywhere because of air conditioning and the electric power and shit. So oh. California is going to be gone soon too. Montana, here we come. Um, I would have avoided talking about Marxism at all because uh, I don't. Well, maybe not, but um, it's. So far, Karl Marx had stupid hair, and everyone knows it. Well, no, just Man, people. His 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 hair game was not on point. 
people are still just kind of wieners about Marxism. Um, even people that are Marxists are kind of wieners about it. I guess that's uh, one additional benefit of not having a red scare because it seems like in Japan they don't have weird Marxists who just love authority, whereas in the United States and some other parts of the West we do. <laughs> Joseph Stalin was a great guy. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, but the reason Marxism I brought up specifically is because uh, class struggle returns in uh, Castle in the Sky. Um, I don't see it. What? Well, never. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, film was released shortly after uh, Thatcher performed. You're just seeing things that aren't even there. You know, you're really just painting with this this broad liberal brush, you crazy leftist. Don't you ever call me a liberal? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's how you got to throw it all in. The, hey, I don't know if you pay attention to. Uh, right-wing media right-wing twitter or right-wing internet it's just all one big jumble you know what i mean they, yeah that's fine i don't have to follow their rules though <laughs> uh, yeah so, you're going to no why would i <laughs> they're, they're making everybody no i'll just kill i people. mean that is kind of you know, uh kind but, of uh, but, but, what happens on the internet anyways is that everybody adopts the right-wing talking points that does seem to happen to be honest they don't adopt the right wing talking points with all the, the their style the and slang and like the uh, fucking uh, obfuscating arguments and shit seems to be really prevalent. It's like, hmm. Um, anyways, it is released shortly after Thatcher performed the major strike breaks on the miners in Wales, which is who Patsu's uh, people are based off of. And this is, of course, right when Reagan was able to dissolve the Air Traffic Controllers Union, destroying the United States forever. So with that in mind, Castle in the Sky argues for the dignity of workers and their independence from their rulers. <laughs> Say it like that again. Ruler. Rulers. Ruler. Those, it's like you're at a sporting event. Those capitalists. So ecological danger caused by runaway technology. The evil Goliath airship is representative of it. Uh, development will ruin us, specifically those among us who are most vulnerable in our surrounding environments. Forging the connection here between workers and ecology. This is like the most um, solidly political Marxist paired with ecology sort of uh, film he's made. But he's going to kind of give up on Marxism a little bit very soon. Uh, which, uh, But what I find interesting about Castle in the Sky, having watched it and thinking about his uh, Miyazaki's beliefs, is uh, my internet connection is unstable. That's the most interesting. That's a good transition. Yeah, that's the most interesting gotta, about Miyazaki's beliefs. I just got a pop up on Zoom. I was like, yeah. Um. Well, no, just the uh, pairing like workers' rights, class consciousness, um, protecting the vulnerable, and uh, ecological concerns, specifically with climate change. That's basically like the modern left wing platform, right? Like everyone on the left, that's like the base, and then there's different beliefs that come out of it. I don't want to shit on the authoritarian left too much because I don't want that to be, uh, I don't want to be bothered by those people too much, basically. <laughs> but maybe, them, maybe not so much about the protection of uh, the, the, the vulnerable. They don't seem to care too much about that. <laughs> I will say that. Um, yeah, so essentially with capitalism, the current level of consumption and production, uh, we're not going to survive. Uh, it's kind of the most important socio-political concept that people need to be exposed to, need to get people talking about. I think it's pretty interesting that Castle in the Sky kind of encompasses that pretty early on because this is 1986. Al Gore hasn't even written a book about this shit yet. <laughs> but he's on his way. 
first, him and his wife got to talk about to you about Two Life Crew. Yeah, first, Tipper Gore's got to get mad about um, people saying bad things in music. But then around like 91, 92, I think Al Gore writes a book, right? I, I actually think it is before he runs for, tries to run for president in 92. So yeah, I think it's 90, I think yeah. it's 1991. I know it's like, he does a small foray into it and then um, never campaigns on it because people didn't understand. <laughs> Shit, people still don't fucking. Understand. I mean, like again, if this is so important, we would Jay Inslee would at least have been in the top three or four of the Democratic primary. But well, yeah, here we a, fucking are. That's the problem is, um, people are complacent and stupid, right? In fact, I have a, a quote from Noam Chomsky that will kind of uh, basically Noam Chomsky says, "Neoliberal democracy instead of citizens, it produces consumers. Instead of communities, it produces shopping malls." The net result is an atomized society of disengaged individuals who feel demoralized and socially powerless. In some, neoliberalism is the immediate and foremost enemy of genuine participatory democracy, not just in the United States, but across the planet, and will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, basically, people don't care about climate change because they either straight up don't think it's real, which is weird, or they don't recognize the threat of it, or they're not able to really conceptualize why it would matter. Because they're distracted. Game of Thrones fall. So that sucks. No fucking sucks. Um, the biggest complaint I have about Castle in the Sky, though, is uh, through no fault of the film, it, didn't, not, it wasn't done purposely or anything, but Castle in the Sky is a major aesthetic touchstone for steampunk. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that um, this is the first introduction to Mom's ro- uh, Friendly Robot Company. Oh, that's pretty good, too. I was going to say that this film also has uh, my particular political ideology in it, which is, of course, the pirates, where there's no authority on Earth but your mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even really their mom. Uh, she also should tell her boys to stop hitting on some little girls. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. <laughs> she, she takes so much shit from older men. Why did well, steampunk? Steampunk is bad. I'll tell you why. Steampunk is dumb and it glorifies industrial society and glamorizes Victorian England and its power. Fuck steampunk. If you're into steampunk, you're a piece of shit. Plus, you look stupid as hell. It doesn't even look good. The Victorian era is garbage. That's like the worst time period in human history. Why would you want? Well, yeah, to- <laughs> now it's Victorian era with really stupid goggles. <laughs> Why would you want to fucking glamorize industrialization? That's so fucking weird. <laughs> they, they, they really like nipple rings. Oh, really? Oh, because Queen Victoria? <laughs> yeah. Um, with regards to Castle in the Sky, Miyazaki said, In Japan, the idea of workers with a true sense of solidarity is a thing of the past. So he wanted to depict it one final time on film. So this is also, you're starting to see, this, you're starting to get the sense that maybe um, he doesn't necessarily know some a collectivist ideal such as Marxism might not work, right? Um, the cynical opinion would be that moving up the class ladder himself, because uh, Miyazaki became the head of Studio Ghibli around this time as well, and then having his own wealth leads to his rejection of strictly Marxist belief. What do you think about that? Mm, maybe. It's really hard to say, isn't it? That's, yeah. like one of those, that's like one of those things you have to actually know him to, to really... Uh, to get i feel like to get a sense of that but yeah but it also i wouldn't say so because he still espouses some of the same beliefs 
Well, yeah, his, uh, like I said, his left wing, the core of his beliefs are still on the left, essentially. And they're in every other movie after this. But it, the, I, it seems this is like the argument you get for anyone who makes a little bit of scratch and isn't like as radical as they were, right? It's like, oh, now that they got money, they don't care anymore. Which like, does, I don't think that always has to be the case. But, um, like you said, Miyazaki himself has never said specifically when he stopped being a Marxist or why. But based on his work, uh, it does seem to be around the time of Kiki's Delivery Service slash Porco Rosso, which is uh, the 90s, early 90s. Uh, that is despite Porco Rosso being anti for propaganda, as we all know, <laughs> because of the famous line, I'd rather be a pig than a fascist. <laughs> but, um, I mean, Kiki's Delivery Service is obviously blatant capitalism because she is running her own delivery service. Well, uh, so Kiki's Delivery Service, I think, is still interesting to think about um, maybe his economic philosophy, but it um, seems to fall in with... Uh, uh, the, the sort of over-encompassing Japanese philosophy that everyone's familiar with almost as a stereotype where uh, being prideful in your work and doing good work and working creates um, intrinsic value, like individual value. I mean, that's even like an idea that's pretty prevalent in America. Um, you hear fucking, uh, God, what's the, uh, from Ohio talking about the dignity of work and shit like that. Or, or even like go back and read Teddy Roosevelt's quotes. Well, yeah, that's, it's also not even contradictory to Marxism because Marxism isn't about the, the need, no need for labor. It's just about dignity and labor and control, controlling what the value, where the value of labor goes. But um, I think that's also prevalent in Kiki's Delivery Service if you watch it too because Kiki doesn't like find her purpose or place or enjoyment in life from the actual labor she does. It's from the people she gets to interact with during her daily work. To me, there's that still seems to be a, a romantic view of what labor could be. So it's like it's not like this. Is what I mean, it's not like he completely threw out all of his beliefs because he got money. It just seems like he, yeah, not like I'm gonna do. Yeah, he just seemed to have kind of uh, grown and doesn't seem to be wholly dogmatic in his beliefs. He's not doesn't seem to be attached to uh, labels or schools of thought. I guess. He's some fine. I saw a picture of Marx's hair. He said, mm. he said oof, mm. oof. He's actually, There's he no said, pigtails there. He actually said, how can we trust this old-ass white man? What could he possibly know? Uh, for good or for ill, though, it does seem that he lost faith in Marxism because, unfortunately, seemed to have lost faith in humanity as a collective. And this is kind of when misanthropy begins to grow. I mean, it's really set in, like, it feels like it's set in really hard in the last 15 years or so. Well, like, yeah, and when you people interview him or when you see him, he does seem to be very grumpy. And, like, that's kind of, like, what he's known for now is being a grumpy old man. But um, it doesn't – even that still doesn't necessarily come across in his work. Because, no, um, it certainly doesn't. It doesn't seem cynical necessarily at all. I've never got that vibe. And certainly some of his quotes seem uh, cynical and pessimistic. Yeah, we'll go back to the first quote is he, he admits that he's pessimistic about one of my staff has a baby. You can't help bless them for good fortune fortune because I can't tell a child, oh, you shouldn't have come into this life. You know what I mean? So I think that's the spirit of his filmmaking still is that, you know, 
he doesn't have a lot of faith in humanity or the future of the world, but he can't burden other people with it, at least not children, right? So all you kids out there listening <clears throat> to uh, VHS Cole, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, I don't care. Fuck them kids. I don't care. Face the truth, kids. The future's coming and it's fucking grim. At this point, you can tell he's kind of growing to resent humanity and he's seeing humanity in direct conflict with nature. And I think what causes him to go away from Marxism at this point is because there is some Marxist belief and it is kind of a prevalent thought in some strains of communism that the inevitability of communism being adopted is uh, inherent to the nature of human advancement. Okay. (laughs) So we would be left with no other choice but to adopt communism. But obviously... It would be right now. Would be a, it would fucking be a great time for communism to step in, right? But uh, I don't think it's inevitability, and it's possible. Once again, Miyazaki's never talked about his Marxist beliefs too much, but it's possible that maybe he subscribed to this um, overarching belief at one point. And but around the time in the early nineties uh, that we're talking about now, after Castle in the Sky around Kiki's delivery service, he's quoted as saying. Leaving decisions up to the collective wisdom of the masses just results in collective foolishness. Oh, that's exactly what the Founding Fathers thought, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Miyazaki doesn't own slaves. (laughs) Not all of them own slaves. They all own slaves. (laughs) Every single one of them. They used to trade them like Pokemon cards. (laughs) I mean, they kind of happened. I don't know if it happened in between the Founding Fathers, but that was absolutely something. No, no, no. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I'm sure it happened between the Founding Fathers. <clears throat> so how could it not <laughs> so fucking prevalent yeah this all kind of culminates um in the ending of the nasca manga i think you can all what i gotta go back and talk about the final ones for one second like the whole the, even the the name the founding fathers that's like an idea that came about like the 1940s or 50s like yeah i'm sick of it i don't know what to call them but founding fathers is not it I don't know all that's politics, dudes. I don't care about them. They're completely irrelevant to my life. No, well, I guess they're no, not. No, they're super relevant. So. Unfortunately, they're still relevant, but um, I, I, they're completely irrelevant in reality, or should be in reality. Uh, oh yeah, so his Miyazaki's uh, man's conflict with nature and the problems he sees it leading to culminates in the ending of the Nausicaa manga. So the Nausicaa movie came out in like 84, but the manga itself, he started writing in like 81, 82, and it goes all the way on until 1994. That's one of those, huh? Yeah. So in 94, he ends the manga and uh, what happens is the titular character, Nausicaa, sends, no, she is sent. Well, in the film, she basically commits suicide, like a Messiah like figure. And is oh yeah. I forgot and, about the end of the, yeah, in this one, none of that messiah shit. Uh, she essentially dooms humanity, but advises them to continue living as best they can while they can. So, see, this is why I think maybe he thought the inevitability of Marxism or communism was possible because uh, there was like the the film version of Nasca has a messiah like figure, a great savior like figure, and then the, when he gets to the manga, it's like, nah, there's no great savior. There's no societal movement rising up confront our doom uh there's nothing to stop what's happening we have to resign to grim outcomes we're staring down the barrel of a gun and you just gotta have to kind of t- come to terms with how you're gonna live with the remaining time that we have and that is 
fucking bleak. Am I right? Yeah. Well, he's yeah. old. He's almost done. Last well, ninety four. I know, but I mean, now he's de- he's definitely almost done. So I think I think I already said I'm not a Marxist. I don't know why anyone would think I'm a Marxist. I'm pretty sure I've said it explicitly before. I'm identify as an anarchist. And I have since I was like a teenager. I think you specifically said anarcho-socialist at one point. Yeah, um, I, I anarcho-socialism to a certain extent because I do. It's it's basically just how you would organize um, a flat hierarchy, and it seem, seemingly would have to be organized around socialistic tendencies for it to seem valid to me. But uh, definitely the anarchist over anything. Certain elements of socialism, uh, syndicalism makes a little bit of sense to me too. Uh, obviously, I, at the end of the day, I know it's hard to hear for internet um, political fans or whatever. There's a lot of nuance to everything, and I'm not sure that there's one perfect political system. Uh-oh. No, I am. I, I, guys out there, I'm a member of the Illuminati. Oh. <laughs> what are your recommendations? <laughs> I, you buckle up, guys, because... Lizard people are coming for your buttholes. Fuck. Goddamn reptilians, the Anunnaki. Fuck, man. I knew they were down there in the center they don't, of the they earth. Don't prefer to call, they prefer to call themselves lizard people. What? I thought they were the Anunnaki. That's offensive. <laughs> I think it's also a fake made-up Sumerian word, so it would have been what the Sumerians called them, so they probably would be offended by that and be like, our actual name is... Fuck, Sumerian makes no goddamn sense. That said, and not to cause any like infighting between left wing politics or whatever after saying I'm going I'm, to an anarchist or whatever. I mean, uh, why not? Everybody else is. I did that. I know, but that's like fucking not gonna help shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could see why he would move away from Marxism. A lot of people attribute it to the collapse of the Soviet Union, but he's never specifically said anything positive about the Soviet Union. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, just from like a, a meat and potatoes standpoint, my biggest problem with Marxism is just how centralized everything is. Yeah, which doesn't necessarily seem... It's obviously not going to work in the global society we live in now, right? You, no, not with the fucking internet. Yeah, so the, that's what I mean. Is that I think there is there's a better system of government buried in elements of like well, a few different <laughs> ideas yeah i mean like even if you go back to look at our our constitution and our government it's based on a whole bunch of different shit including like some you know native american um i guess the iroquois is probably the closest the most obvious one um and, and like you know some old republican ideas in europe the dutch republic the romans the greeks all that old shit well, I don't know if you knew this, but the United States is actually a republic, not a republic. <laughs> a republic, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you know what? God damn it, Kyle. Do you know what a republic is? I'm going to fucking stop. I'm going to reach this microphone and choke you. Oh, man. That joke will never get old. <laughs> um, a republic, I think, sir, if you could. Or, 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 republic, madam, if you could keep it. If you could keep it. Now I'm going to stain my teeth black with wine. Yeah, they. What was the deal? Did people have um, worse enamel on their teeth back then, or the wine was just much stronger? I just think dental hygiene was not up to par back then. Oh, um, I mean, also a little bit of both. From what I understand, like wine was a lot have thicker, and you had to water it down. But that's it was mold. No, wine. oh shit! Fortified I'm actually be thinking about Roman times and not revolutionary times. And revolutionary I read times, too much history. I thought they were drinking beers. Inside. They drink a lot of cider, uh, rather than. Uh, it being Soviet Union that disenfranchised uh, the collapse of Soviet Union dif- dis- that disenfranchised Miyazaki, I think it might have been 
living through World War II, seeing the rise of the economic empire of Japan, seeing that bubble burst, and then the collapse into very consumerist, conservative, American-inspired culture. So I'm thinking it more has to do with just the conquest of consumerism and neoliberalism in the 80s and the 90s is maybe why he kind of gave up on stuff. Because to be honest with you, I'm feeling pretty exhausted by it myself. Not me. I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> and then, yeah, also his ecological concerns becoming paramount makes sense to me because all this week in my notes, I said on my bad days, I engage in mis- misanthropic thought. But in reality, this entire week, that's all I could think about. Thanks to Hayao Miyazaki a little bit, but also just, I don't know. This is a time, time of the month for me or whatever. And he getting your man period. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I just I haven't been very hopeful about much this week. And then yeah, now he's at he's an old man now. He's definitely at the end of his life. He's lived through a lot of shit and he's kind of lived long enough to see the destruction he was so afraid of on the horizon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, you can kind of go back and read a lot of people as they get older and they kind of see that same, like, well, the world I, I had as a kid isn't there anymore. It's being destroyed. Like Mark Twain kind of said the same shit on his deathbed. Yeah, but see, Miyazaki's not um, concerned that the world he inhabited is gone because he's not super vitriolic about um, kids and their technology or any of that grumpy old man stuff. He's no, I mean, I mean, like Mark Twain like, was just talking about the like the way the Mississippi changed because it used to, you know, like the because uh, they after the Civil War, um, uh, you know, they start throwing up all these locks and dams, and you know, the flow of the river is different. It doesn't look the same. You know, like the the plants are, are different. He's legitimately like a you know, prairie chickens are disappearing out there. Yeah, that's like not comparable to the actual fact. I, I mean, it's not comparable. <laughs> I get, you know what I mean? But it's, I don't know. I guess it's, it's the same mentality. Like, I don't, we, we're, we're going to either face it or we're not. Yeah, I mean, but then so far in his lifetime, we he's seen us not face it. So that's like the perspective he's coming from. But uh, let's talk about the, the more hopeful aspects of Miyazaki, though. Because uh, it's not all doom and gloom for Miyazaki. That's why I started off with that quote. Because uh, I mean, that'd be a terrible way to live. Obviously, he's a curmudgeon. He's grumpy, and he's really worried about the future of the world. But like, it's it's not all terrible. Because um, it turns out my favorite Miyazaki film uh, is seems to me to be the, the the synthesis, the perfect synthesis of his belief in humanism, as well as animist ecological beliefs. And that, of course, would be. Spirited Away. No, just kidding. Spirited Away is a little bit overrated, overrated in my opinion. I think if people just like it because they're like, oh, this one's the most like Totoro. It makes me feel like a kid, even though it's not necessarily what Studio Ghibli is supposed to all be about. I feel like it's that, the, the, people talk about that one the most just because in America, it felt like it got the biggest push from Disney. Oh, it got the, the biggest promotion from Disney. But it also was, up until your name, it was the highest grossing Ghibli or highest grossing animated, highest grossing film of all time in Japan. It was already a big deal in Japan. But um, I do see it as it's, it has a, such a broad uh, um, appeal, spirit of the way. So I understand why it's, it has like a more, I, the more people. It's probably like my it. wife's favorite uh, Miyazaki movie. She doesn't really like most of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Spirit of the Way is a great movie. It's beautiful. The themes are wonderful. 
Um, I like that uh, Miyazaki basically made it because he thought one of his friend's daughters was a brat in real life. Um, but my favorite Miyazaki film is, of course, Princess Mononoke. Oh, it has the, that great Billy Bob Thornton there. Oh, where'd you want to fight like that, boy? Fight like a demon. Fight like a demon. Where'd yeah, you want um, to fight like that, boy? Fight like a demon. Generally, I'll watch uh, Ghibli movies uh, subtitled, but yeah, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away, because of the time period I watched them in, I just always watch the English stuff, because the Princess Mononoke one's good. Except for Billy Bob. No, Billy Bob is fucking great. He's got the... He's a f- goddamn monk? <laughs> from yeah. Japan? Yeah, oh, look at me. Hey, boy. Come here, boy. Maria, what's going on? I'm teaching some goddamn karate, boy. Yeah, he's a, a rural monk. Very rural. <laughs> I mean, also, is he even a monk? It seems like it's more of a disguise than anything, right? Yeah, I think it is a disguise. But yeah. <laughs> it's real awesome. I'll watch Princess Mononoke. But here's what's up with Princess Mononoke and why I think it perf- it's like a nice, a nice synthesis for his two belief systems. So we walk away with a little bit of hope. Um, I mean, probably not. I mean, what, what is there to hope for anymore? Everything feels hollow. <laughs> but uh, so Ashitaka comes from a sort of primitive, primitivist utopia, right? It's a uh, very pastoral, very collective. Um, they believe in animist religion. It could be seen as like maybe the transitional communist utopia that existed before um, large scale civilization, right? Like in the period after hunter gatherer, but before large scale civilization, or even to a certain extent, um, certain parts of the world in like the medieval period were living a pretty nice collectivist uh, lifestyle. So it harkens back to that a little bit. But of course, Ashitaka's got to leave because if he's got his cursed arm, right? He got all that boar doo doo on it. <laughs> it's some badass boar doo doo, and that means he can never return to that idyllic world from that corrupted boar. Yeah, but he can he can't return to the idyllic world. But he's he's got a nice little foundation to go off of, and then he goes along. He meets a Boshi who's uh, protecting the marginalized peoples of the world, but then also destroying the local environment. She's willing to kill the forest spirit. That's pretty fucked up, man. She didn't kill the spirit of the forest. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because you uh, see it. Did you see that <laughs> thing's freaking fucking creepy ass eyes. She's only, right into my soul. How dare she, it? She's only <laughs> doing it for money though, and it's like. If the spirit of the forest was real, I mean, someone probably would have killed it by now for sure. Oh, but, a long way, a long time ago. <laughs> but that's that, on someone's wall. But like, from my perspective, the spirit of the forest, the spirit of the forest is real. It's like, no fucking way would you want to look, don't kill that guy. <laughs> and then so Son in the Wolves. There's an entire Dungeon of the Dragons campaign based on, on the fact that someone killed the spirit of the forest. Yeah, and then so opposed to Boshi, we have um, San and the Wolves, San the Wolf Girl. And all the other animals, they fucking want to kill the shit out of a boshi. And so the boars eventually come to town to fuck everything up. And then Lord Koto gets corrupted by a poison bullet. Of course, um, once again, technology being used for evil purposes is corrupting nature. I get it? Yeah. And this, I can tell you, this movie would have come out, like, what, right after he finished writing Nagasaka? Or I guess a few years after, maybe. Nagasaka? Yeah. Um, no, so there's a big break from Porco Rosso or from Key's Delivery Service to Princess Mononoke. Uh, Key's Delivery Service is like 92. Nasca he finishes in 94. Princess Mononoke comes out in 97. Ah. Yeah, but it does seem like in those three years, he was like, huh. Hmm. <laughs> How old is it? Everything in my life is meaningless. Yeah, so they, uh, the, spirit, the four spirits' head gets stolen and it's to, it destroys the entire land. 
and it's no longer able to serve the recuperative role it had when it was whole, right? So everything's fucked. God damn it, humanity, you fucked everything up. But Ashitaka and San work together, and Sen work together, and they return his head. It still dies, but it heals the land. And then Ashitaka stays with the Boshi to rebuild a better version of their society. Well, Sen returns to the forest, though they promise to meet again. So there's some sort of a strange unification here where between humanity and perhaps the Force. And maybe sends the uh, transitory figure. But especially Ashitaka with his um, base of an idyllic society is able to u- utilize his beliefs to see uh, with eyes unclouded by hate that Eboshi is not straight up evil. I mean, she's not a fascist or anything. She's not irredeemable. And together, perhaps they can build a human society that can be made to coexist with nature. Whoa! Oh man! And James Cameron's gonna make fifteen movies about it. Yeah, but I mean, the Princess Mononoke is not a fucking Pocahontas. This is some real <laughs> shit. <laughs> this is some real shit. Um, of course, I guess that's wishful thinking, though. Um, in my opinion, because unfortunately, I don't see us uh, beating climate change without the dissolution of capitalism, and fucking no one's ready for that shit. I mean, I. I <laughs> Fuck! I I remember at the beginning of the COVID thing, uh, Greta Thunberg's like, "Yo, this COVID, this the way we're acting on COVID shows that the world can act on climate change." And about mm, four months later, I'm gonna say she's wrong. The, the the way the world is acting on COVID shows that we can't act on climate change. Some countries can, but they I, sort but of. It's not. No one's doing it collectively, and that's climate change is a collective problem. <laughs> New Zealand can do it. New Zealand, Vietnam. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so, Thailand. <laughs> Thanks. You know, that I guess those will be the last bastions of humanity. That's why all the fucking rich tech bros are buying land in New Zealand, huh? I mean, I want to live like a hobbit. I mean, all right. Yeah, Bilbo Baggins had a, a bomb house. Did he not? He had a lotter full of cold cuts and, and cheeses. It does look really nice in Lord of the Rings. I think I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings and forget about the world. Oh, wait. What's that movie about again? Oh, um, it's about the world on the precipice of collapse due to industry gone wild. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, but the, but I've watched Princess Mononoke, man. It's hopeful at the end. Uh, Ashitaka, he's able to see with eyes unclouded. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, able to, he's got the right angle it, um, knowing that you know we can't return to the past, but we can build a better future and there's a way. Maybe we could wrestle the reins of power and steer Literally the wrestle them. I'm going to yeah. challenge Donald Trump to a wrestling match for the presidency of the United States. Last thing is we got to be able to move forward and build a healthier relationship with nature and build a better modern society. How are we going to do it? Apparently we need to... I need to find a wolf girl and we need to stop... There's mom's voice by Julian Anderson, which is great. Stop the spread of COVID, but also kill everything. Uh, I don't know how to do it. It doesn't translate one-to-one to real life, but the important thing is I, too, would like to meet a wolf girl. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, <laughs> find a wolf girl, but no. Nope, just want to be one. No, I'd like to meet one. Oh, I heard be one. I, I want to be, be a wolf girl. I wouldn't mind being a wolf girl either. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as a child, I, my parents are great, but if I was way raised by wolves, like Moogly. Yeah, but um, what's what's uh, Mr. Miyazaki up to right now, I hear you asking? Well, movies. 
he is making what is likely to be his final movie. Um, it is taking a long time to produce. We don't oh, King Lear. It's going to come out maybe in the next two to three years. Uh, he is at, definitely at the end of his life. The last interview that series documentary that was came out in 2017, um, where a lot of the misanthropic quotes came from. You can see that, um, like most Japanese men, he is only satisfied when he's working. So that seems to be one of the um, reasons why he wants to continue working. I wish I had that kind of worth like, ethic. I yeah, I'd only too, be satisfied yeah. where I'm sitting on my ass doing fucking nothing. Yeah, I'm depressing all the time. But I, th- well, I think he, he's lucky enough to have been um, got developed a work ethic into adulthood before the point where um, society was completely destroyed by like television and shit, which unfortunately we we didn't have the benefit of. Really, do think um, technology? I know I sound like a Luddite sometimes, but <laughs> a lot of technology I do has has had a kind of a negative effect on how people think and socialize. I never think that uh, like my cell phone and social media has fucked up my concentration. Yeah, me uh, too. Attention span. Yeah, maybe it's, it's it could be part of getting older, but none of my other brain functions seem to be stifled at all. It's just I fucking my attention span is weird now. Yeah, fuck it. I'm done with my cell phone then. You heard it here, guys. We'll see how much my, we'll see how much my screen time goes down next week. Screen time, um, yeah. So, anyways, one of the the the, the things that seems to be um, pushing him to work more, work again on another film, is just his work ethic. But um, at the end of the documentary, you'll notice when he talks about Wind Rises, the last film he made, um, he talks about how he wanted it to be a meaningful like end to his career he wanted to, to say more than it actually did and he seems to be a little bit disappointed by its reception and how it actually turned out so uh with that in mind and based off of the quotes and interviews that have come from him over the last couple of years and stuff ago and how he's been outspoken politically and socially and stuff uh his impetus for the new film seems to be he his wants impotence to- yeah, his impotence. <laughs> he, it seems like he does. He wants to leave, um, like one last meaningful message to the people of Japan and the world at large. Kind of like David Bowie's last album, right? Where it's like, all right, this is my final, my final work of art to express, like, goodbye. Now I'll see what you. I'm thinking of the world. Hello, right? hello. Well, the um, the name of the film is uh, how can you live? So seems like it's going to be pretty specific about uh, the nature of society. So How can uh, you live, honey, I'm, Miyazaki? I'm, I'm, we're going to find out when the film comes out eventually. I mean, there's still... Seems to be like they're only like halfway through production, I believe. So that's like another two or three years. Uh, hopefully he makes it. Like, cross your fingers, knock on wood. He does seem to still be relatively healthy for as old as he is, but I think he's a chain smoker still. But you know, the Japanese people, they seem to live forever because their diet's better. That's all that fish and rice and sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been eating sweet potatoes a lot lately. Oh, man, I've been craving fish like crazy. Oh, we have I think it's because I've been watching week. that alone show so much and everybody's eating fish so much. Like, man, yeah, I really want to go fishing. Got a trout. <laughs> yep. So, I, so that's what I had to say about Miyazaki-sama. 
I'm excited for the new movie. Next time we watch Totoro, we'll talk about more of his other beliefs, probably some more positive stuff. <laughs> uh, Castle in the Sky is a great movie. Um, every, everyone knows every Ghibli movie is good. There's not a bad one. Uh, every Miyazaki movie is great. Um, I watched Princess Mononoke. I'm going to watch it and try to feel good about maybe ma- meeting or being a wolf girl or something. I don't know. But I was, uh, I've also like watched some other recently released anime movies that have come out and like, no, they don't got it. They do not have it. I mean, like, that's true. I mean, American animation, there's really only like one or two good movies every couple of years, maybe. If that, well, that's the thing is, so there's the quote from Miyazaki where he says anime was, was a mistake, right? The one that's been memed about forever. Uh, that's actually a mistranslation. Mistranslation. He didn't say anime is a mistake. He was basically just criticizing modern anime, saying it's basically trash. No one believes in anything. Specific quote was, uh, "It looks like it's made by people who don't like to look at other people." Mm. Um, it's probably more like they're afraid to look at other people. Yeah, but the spirit of the message is there. Um, I kind of have to agree with him, not in that simple respect, although. There is a weird inhumanity to modern anime, especially like with movement and shit, where it's like, what the fuck? Why are you even doing this? I remember an interview from some writer, and I don't remember who it was, who talked about like a good, really good writer has to be like a, a, a good people, not Keen just watcher, observer. Observer, yeah. But I mean, a watcher and understander of people. Yeah, that's uh, Miyazaki san. Miyazaki san. No, was that wasn't the quote he said the quote. <laughs> Oh, that's what Miyazaki's well, most well known for. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I can't remember who the writer was, but it's the same sentiment. Yeah. Um, it, uh, to extrapolate onto that, their inability to see humanity in other people and reproduce it in animation, I think it actually has a lot to do with how societies progressed through the eighties and nineties. Once again, back to the what the Noam Chomsky quote: the atomization of people, the lack of community. They, everything becoming a commodity, being disaffected and disconnected from other people. It's like starting to inadvertently show up in media, like all over the place. Like, I don't know. I guess I get why Miyazaki says. And I wonder what I'll be like when I'm in my 80s. I'm probably not going to live to my 80s, to be honest, but I'm sure I'll be fucking mean in my 50s. <laughs> <laughs> what would be great if you come back around you know, like a jolly old man with a big beard. I... If I don't know if I can, who surfs to the ruins of Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it depends on how things like pan out. Um, right now though, I'm just like so devastatingly like lonely and like skin hungry and fucking depressed, and everything seems hollow. I just don't even like watching horror movies anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing tastes yeah. good. I've just been eating sweet potatoes. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> I mean, like eggs for breakfast and sweet potatoes and meat. It's basically been my diet for like three years. Yeah. And eggs like, and sweet potatoes. Really well, not necessarily sweet potatoes. Some form of potato. Mm-hmm. Sweet or otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just need to start working out again or something. It's too hot. Do. I'm going to... I think I'm going to start working. I think I said this once before, but I'm definitely going to start waking up and I haven't walked in like six weeks. I'm going to start walking the dog again. I'm going to go play basketball. There's a hoop right by my house. I'm going to do it like six in the morning. Hoop it up. Yeah. That's the other thing. That's really the only thing I've been doing is watching, watching the the bubble basketball. 
It's the most Suns things you can possibly do to go 8-0 and not make the playoffs. I mean, no fault of their own, really. It's just how it shook out, unfortunately. I know, but that's why it's funny. Yeah, the fucking Suns were killing it. Killing it. Uh, You and I made fun of them at the beginning. We're like, we're not going to watch the fucking Suns. Yeah, And then I ended up watching the last three games. About halfway through it, I was like, 4-0, what's going on here? But fucking can't beat Damian Lillard. He's unstoppable. And also, I mean, if I, I honestly, if the, if the Portland ever learned to play defense, they would be unstoppable. Well, fucking shockingly, fucking Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> At the end of his career, he finally cares. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, Marshmello? Who is this man? He's like playing with the team and stuff. <laughs> cool shit. Yeah, you think um, they're gonna beat the Lakers? I don't think they are. Who the Trailblazers? Yeah, I don't think well. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone can beat the Lakers. Unfortunately, no, nah, I think the Lakers, I don't think Lakers are gonna win the whole thing, but I don't think the Warriors are gonna. I, I think, think that I think well, the Clippers might beat the Lakers. We'll see. Yeah, I'm hoping for the Blippers. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, I like I said at the start of the bubble tournament, I was like, well, the Warriors aren't playing. The Suns are gonna be a joke. I'm gonna go with the Blippers, and then. Uh, because I always, I always like the LA Clippers just because they're like the other LA team, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you know, like, hopefully they do it. I'm, I'm like, it's not like I dislike LeBron or anything, but the Lakers just seem. Anytime it's a team that's like super duper stacked, you, you, I just don't want to see them win super easily. Unless it's the Warriors. Unless it's the Warriors. Unless it's the Warriors, I don't give a fuck. I was like, everyone on the internet was like give them such a hard time because the team is so stacked. It's like, fuck you, bitch. This team was made. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of true. It was like, they didn't like... Yeah, except for Kevin uh, KD. Uh, KD, yeah. yeah. But it's also like, ah, things are back to normal. The Warriors suck again. Yeah, we'll see you next season, though. Yeah. Well, it's like you can... I can wear, like, Warriors merchandise now here in Arizona without people thinking I'm, like, bandwagoning. Yeah. Like, yeah, right, fool. I oh, lived yeah. it. I lived it. Pull on my Latrell Spiral jersey. <laughs> <clears throat> One of my ex girlfriends has that because I used to. Because uh, I like. Oh no! I'm still in contact with them. I'll figure out who has it. Yeah, because I was like, "Here, you wear this. It'll be badass." Three for three. Well, that's that's fun. Um, next week is our hundredth episode, isn't it? Oh shit! It might be. Yeah, I think it is. Let me. Do you want me to double check? I believe it is. You know what? We're done. 100 and done. <laughs> that, that's if we don't have 9 million subscribers by the 100th episode, there's no, there's no fucking point anymore. Yeah, this is 99. 98, yep. So, 99, Castle in the Sky. Next week, the 100th episode. It's what everyone's been waiting for. A very special episode. We will be watching Day of the Dead. I hear people already complaining, why not Dawn of the Dead? Well, guess what? I actually like Day of the Dead more. <gasps> Shock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the true Romero fan likes Day of the Dead more. That's right. Um, well, luckily, actually, zombie fans like Dawn of the Dead more, but Romero fans they like Day of the Dead more. That's right. You know what I, I did that? That's actually kind of accurate because I, I think, think it is. I think Day of the Dead does encompass his his philosophies to a greater extent, whereas Dawn of the Dead is like just a great blueprint for every zombie movie that came after it. Um, luckily, though, the lady has a baby zombie. Yeah, luckily, the last ten years or so have been really kind to Day of the Dead, and it's kind of reestablished itself as on par with um, Dawn of the Dead and other uh, Romero and zombie films. So that's nice for Dawn of the Dead. We'll probably talk about it. I'll explain why it's What's, better than uh, Day of the Dead. 
What's the zombie's name again? I want to say Ben, but that's the that's the rat from Bub. Ben. It's it's Bub. Bub. Thank you. Bub. Bub. I think I misspoke. Next week I'll explain why Day of the Dead is better than Dawn of the Dead, quite expertly. Next week I'll explain why uh, Dawn of the Dead remake is better than the original Dawn of the Dead. I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to try. It has. It's got. It's got Ving Rhames. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, much more action packed. I remember when it came out, I was um, shockingly like, "Oh, that was adequate." Yeah, I mean, because there was a kind of dearth of zombie movies at the point to, that point too. Well, no, that was actually what set it off. Is twenty eight days later, yeah. Dawn of the Dead remake, and then Shaun of the Dead like the next year. Um, but uh, I was already like a fan of Dawn of the Dead at that point because it was on. They used to show it every Halloween. There was a remake, and I obviously, even as like at like at sixteen or seventeen when it came out, I was like, "Fucking remake! Why did you make that shit? It's bullshit! It's fucking Hollywood bullshit!" And then Romero made Land of the Dead. It was Hollywood bullshit, but it was like, well, this is adequate, I guess. Like, it's got to be the only Zack Snyder movie I like, I think. There's one that everybody seems to love on the internet. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. I was going to say Punch Drunk Love. That's obviously not it. Sucker Punch looks really cool. Um, that's kind of like Zack Snyder to a T. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, next week, Day of the Dead, 100 episodes. Tell all your friends and family about it. Write to your congressman. Tell them you want, you say, I want my MTV. But I say, I want my VHS cult. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, make sure we get like a, a grant for the arts. Mm-hmm. This is art. Artiste. This is a little bit of performance art. I made. I was able to talk about Hayao Miyazaki for an hour and a half and not cry this week. So fucking, that's a, I deserve an award for that. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I've been really emotional this week. And whenever I think about Hayao Miyazaki... Get really emotional. <laughs> I just think whenever I think about old Japanese men in general, I get really, really teary eyed. Yeah. VHSCult.com. We will be on Twitch again on Friday. We watched House on Haunted Hill, the Vincent Price version from 59? Vincent 58? Price. Return of the Fly with Vincent Price. It'll be pretty good. It's only like an hour long, hour and 15 or something like that. They, they really they knew how to make movies back then. Short and sweet. Get them in the theater and get them out of there. We don't want these weird kids hanging around too long. Yeah, we just stinking out of the place. Fucking communists. Oh yeah, in 1959, there's probably a a survey before the movie about your communist uh, feelings. Yeah, while the the fucking recite the pledge, the entire cast of the film was communists. Yeah, not Vincent Price. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you Vincent Price was probably left wing. (laughs) Probably. It is Hollywood. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, VHSCult.com. Go to Twitch. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, I don't know. Stay hopeful. It's been a while since we got a good Fuck 12 ACAB. We'll get fucking Fuck 12 ACAB. That problem's still ongoing. But shout out to Minneapolis and Portland. They're not giving up. That's badass. Not like me and Hayao Miyazaki. We did no. a long time ago. <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's what's kind of bummed me out about it is like, oh, am I starting to give up? I'm starting to lose energy. Cause I, I fucking there has never been a big win in my lifetime to be honest. Things just seem to get <laughs> yeah, you're 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 owed one though. It's coming up. I guess. I guess we'll find out. Tune in next week to find out.